Acts 28, 17 through 31. After three days, he, Paul, called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. There are two aspects of this service that have surprised me this week. One is that we finish the book of Acts on Pentecost. And two, that in the midst of the convulsions of our nation, we read Psalm 46 as our call to worship. I want to encourage you to go back to Psalm 46 tonight at some point and read that when the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, He, God, utters His voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Please come and pray with me. Father in heaven, 
we've yet to see in this season a day as beautiful as today. We are so thankful for the breeze. We are so thankful for the sun. Father, we are so thankful for Sundays that mark our weeks when it seems like so many of our days blur one into another. Father, I am so thankful for your word that defines reality when it seems like chaos reigns. Father, we join our voices together and grieve over the chaos that we as a nation are going through. As the systemic injustice and oppression is laid bare before us. Father, we pray that you would intervene, that you would speak, that your word would speak and our hearts would melt. Father, for some of us, our hearts that are filled with anger or fear, and for others, our hearts that are filled and hardened with indifference and distance. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful that when you saw a broken humanity, you did not stand at a social distance and proclaim what ought to be done. Rather, you entered into our humanity, and you bore our sin. Father, we grieve over the injustice that has existed and continues to exist among a broken people like us. And we ask you, Father, would you bring a peace that passes understanding Father, would you bring healing? Father, we know from your word and even from this Psalm 46 that the only way that that comes to pass is for your glory to be known and for the knowledge of the Lord to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Father, show us how that works even from the passage that we turn to today. Father, I pray for those in our communities who are filled with fear that you would bring the peace that passes all understanding as they cast their cares upon you. Father, I pray for those in our communities who are filled with anger that you would reveal to them your righteous anger as well. And yet your action toward reconciliation. And Father, I pray for those whose hearts are numbed by distance. That you would melt our hearts. That we 
would love mercy, that we would act justly, and that we would walk humbly with you. Father, we need you to work. And so we ask that you would come do it now through your word, even as we are surprised by this passage and its applicability to our lives today. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, here we are. We're at the end of Acts, and in some senses, it is just like the beginning. In some senses, getting to the end of something, sometimes you're surprised when it keeps going and the intensity carries on. What strikes me in this passage is Paul's determination that continues even on in Rome, his effort. It is almost as if he digs his heels in. And it begs to ask the question for us, what are you determined to do in your life? What are you determined to achieve? What are you determined to make known? In many ways, I think that this ending of Acts is more like a victory lap for Luke than anything else. It's been two years and about four months since the Apostle Paul was arrested in chapter 21. Do you remember he went to the temple to pay the way for those four individuals who had made a vow? And there in the temple, while he was being purified, he was arrested and charged with insurrection, among other things. But here we are told in these very last verses, verses 30 and 31, that though Paul arrived in Rome chained, the gospel was proclaimed with boldness and was unhindered. It's the irony of Luke that continues on to the very last book of the, of the, of the very last verse of the book of Acts. And the amazing thing is that he presents Paul in Rome as if he is taking a victory lap with a flag around his shoulders and that everything that had been promised is now accomplished. The idea of being able to proclaim with boldness, unhindered, takes us all the way back to the fourth chapter of Acts when the apostles were first chastised for proclaiming the name of Jesus by the council in Jerusalem and they went back and they prayed to God for boldness and God granted them boldness to proclaim. And here Luke ends the book saying that Paul proclaimed the gospel and the kingdom of God with boldness and unhindered. We're reminded of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when Jesus declares to his apostles before he even goes to heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here the Apostle Paul is in Rome proclaiming the gospel. And the amazing thing is that the gospel beat him to Rome. You see that there are already brothers and sisters in the verses that just preceded the ones that we read who met him on the way. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to Ananias and he says that Paul is his chosen instrument. He says that he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings 
and the children of Israel. And isn't that exactly what we have seen transpire in this book of Acts? This is a victory lap of understanding what is happening. We saw in Acts 19 and in Acts 23 that Paul said that he must go to Rome. And he must go to Rome and testify And where does Luke leave us? But in Rome with Paul testifying. This is a victory lap. And what do you do after victory? Well, we all know what you do. You take it easy. You stop. You take a break. You're exhausted. You're at the end of something. But that's not what we read, is it? In verse 17. Verse 17 simply starts with these Three words. After three days, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. The first 17 verses of chapter 28 tell you about how the ship that was wrecked on the island of Malta had been cared for and that everyone survived, that the ship was destroyed. And it says that they weathered the winter there for three months. And then over the course of 10 to 14 days, they made their way all the way to Rome. Paul has been in chains for two years and four months. He has been in transit to Rome for nearly four months. And if that were you and me, wouldn't we stop and take it easy? But that's not the Apostle Paul. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. This is incredible. I think that this passage has everything to do with determination. I don't know about your TV watching patterns and whether they've changed within this pandemic or not. But we actually gathered as a family the other night and watched the Westminster Kennel Club Best in Show contest. You know that what you have opportunity to watch is really thin when everybody's excited about Best in Show Kennel Club from Westminster. Well, one dog caught my mind because I had been thinking about Paul and it was actually the Rottweiler. Do you know this dog? In case you don't know, he's in the working group of the Westminster Kennel Club, and you need to look him up. He's pretty powerful. And this is what one of the commentators who, they love this stuff like, like, you know, the most excited baseball commentator you can imagine. This commentator says of the Rottweiler, this is a breed with a lot of determination. And the moment I heard that, I thought, you know something? That's just like the Apostle Paul in this section. Paul's tenacity and his determination and his single-mindedness. Paul, after three days of four months of travel, including shipwreck and camping for three months, and then more ship travel, after three days, he starts the same pattern that we have seen him do since chapter 13. The same pattern that he had in Cyprus, in Antioch of Poseidia, of Ephesus and of Corinth, of calling together the Jews. He didn't even have the freedom to go to the synagogue, so he called the Jewish leaders to his house. And he started the same pattern of proclaiming the good news of the gospel to them again 
It is shocking. In verses 17 through 20, you see Paul's identity with these Jews, just like he has done the whole time as a Pharisee and a Jew himself. Listen to the language. It's really startling. He says, brothers. He says, though I had done nothing against who? Our people. He says, brothers, I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers. He says that there is, he says that uh, against the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. He said that the Romans, when they examined him, wanted to let him go because there was no reason for the death penalty in this case. But because the Jews objected, he had to appeal to Caesar to protect his own life. And he says, look, I've got no charge against my nation. He doesn't distance himself from Israel in any way. But rather he says the same thing that he has said in his defense over and over. I'm here for the hope of Israel. And he goes on and he explains to them who Jesus is. He explains that his hope is in the Messiah and in the freedom from oppression, in restoration of the people and the nation of Israel, in the justice that he longed for, and in the witness to the world and the resurrection of the dead. Verse 23 says that he went straight to the law of Moses and the prophets. We have seen week after week how the Apostle Paul went to the same places testifying it says here, and trying to convince them about Jesus. You see, the Apostle Paul was saying, this is not just my opinion about a sect. It's not just my view that I'm going to give you. This is about Jesus. And when he's presented to you, you must decide what you think. You must respond. Paul, like a Rottweiler, with his determination and his tenacity, won't let it go. Listen, I've got a yellow lab. That is no Rottweiler. But I will bet that none of you can come to that house and from an eight-year-old female yellow lab pull the rope out of her mouth. You cannot do it. How much more so a Rottweiler? But here the Apostle Paul's determination and tenacity is right there. He doesn't stop. Even in Rome, he continues to proclaim Christ. And to what end does he proclaim Christ? To what is Paul longing for? We understand this as we study a little bit more this passage and from Isaiah 6. He longed for his fellow Jews and for all of humanity to see that all of the law and the prophets pointed to Jesus. Just like Jesus, who met the apostles on the road to Emmaus and in Luke 24 explained to them that everything that was written in the Old Testament pointed to him, the apostle Paul with tenacity went after these Jewish leaders explaining to them who Jesus was. And it required a decision of them. We read it in verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And then in verse 25, you see 
the Rottweiler-ness of Paul continue. He says, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one more statement. Paul said, i got one more thing to say to you. And he said, I'm going to turn to Isaiah 6, and I'm going to quote to you two verses that you know by heart, leaders of the people. And Paul speaks, and he says, quoting Scripture, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. The Apostle Paul goes after the jugular to define unbelief versus belief. It's the only time in this passage where the Apostle Paul doesn't say our fathers. He says to the unbelieving Jews, your fathers, just like your fathers. And he turns to this passage in Isaiah 6 that Jesus uses and is quoted in each of the four Gospels as the reason why he used parables to speak. So that hearing and seeing people who didn't pay attention would not perceive and they would not hear and they would not understand. And in the context of Isaiah 6, what we have to understand is that the loss of hearing the loss of understanding, the loss of seeing and of perceiving is the result of idolatry. In Isaiah 1, God tells the Israelites, come, your sins are as scarlet, but they can be made white as snow. He says, come and reason with me. And then in chapters 2 and 3, he points out to them, their injustice and their oppression against the foreigners among them. And then in chapter 4, he highlights for them the result of this. This is a result of idolatry. And then in verse 6, he talks about their loss of ability to perceive. There is a principle at play in these verses. And the principle is most directly stated in Psalm 115, when it compares the mouths of the idols of the people, that they have mouths but they don't speak, they have ears but they don't hear. And the psalmist says, and those who make them and those who trust them become like them. The same is written in Isaiah 44. Idolatry is the problem. But the flower of that root is injustice and is oppression and is enslavement is what we are told in Isaiah chapter 2 and chapter 3. Paul longed for his fellow Jews to hear and to see and to understand 
that in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, everything to which the law and the prophets spoke was brought to its fulfillment. And the glory of the Lord was known most clearly in the person and the work of Christ. So that turning to God, they might be healed. Isn't it interesting that Jesus put his fingers in the ear of the man who was deaf. And from the Old Testament, the picture of digging out your ears so that they would hear again. Because those who had worshipped idols became like them with their inability to hear and to see, to perceive, to understand. You see, the Apostle Paul knew that injustice and oppression aren't the root of the problem. But Isaiah tells us that the root from which the flower of injustice and oppression, enslavement comes from, is the root of idolatry. And he goes after it here. And Paul longed for his fellow Jews to see and to hear and to understand what God has done and accomplished in Christ, who was the suffering servant of Isaiah. You can just go through every one of his defenses. You can almost paint the picture of what the Apostle Paul told these guys, that they might turn to God and be healed. And in this short segment, you see the minor theme of Acts, which is the rejection of the gospel by the Jewish leadership but you also see the major theme of Acts, which is that the gospel, this salvation of God, will go to the Gentiles. They will listen. How does the Apostle Paul have that kind of confidence? Because that's what he says in this passage. He says it at the very end of verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles they will listen. Well, I didn't finish my story about the Rottweiler for you because the commentator said something else about the Rottweiler. In talking about determination of the Rottweiler, he said, the Rottweiler is a breed with a lot of determination and needs a master with even more. The understanding being determination. At the moment, you should go back and look at this if you can. At the moment, the individual that was trying to walk the Rottweiler had a choke chain with like things that looked like razor blades poking into that, that guy's head. And he was still, the Rottweiler was totally in control and you just knew it. But I want you to know, Christians, we have a more determined master than even we're determined. And this is good news for any of you that are like me, that struggle with determination. I get determined that I'm gonna go out and run. And you wanna know what knocks me off my game? Pollen. Pollen knocks me off my game. That's how weak my determination is. But I want you to know that the determination of the Apostle Paul and his confidence that the Gentiles will listen goes straight to what empowers him. And I want you to remember that this is Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, you will receive power. Remember what we have called this study in the book of Acts? The acts of the risen and the reigning Jesus Christ through his apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit? Acts 13, we're told that the Holy Spirit spoke to the Christians in Antioch and said, set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. And when Paul writes about his own ministry to the Colossian Christians, he says that when I struggle in this ministry, I am struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. The Holy Spirit has possessed Paul and is the root of his determination that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would be made known throughout the world. You guys know that I went to Wake Forest. You know that James went to Duke University. The story is, is that in the old days, those two schools were playing each other. And one of the commentaries said of Duke, they are on fire. It's as if they're possessed by the devil. And they became Duke Blue Devils. And then Wake Forest, which was a Baptist school, not Methodist like James's, the Wake Forest was coming back and they said they're on fire now. It's like they're the demon deacons. Well, what I want you to understand is the determination of the Apostle Paul comes straight from the Holy Spirit. John Calvin could write of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit today exists in a state of holy discontent until he makes all of Christ's enemies his footstool. It's what he did with the Apostle Paul, didn't he? Paul, under the subjection of Christ, willfully and joyfully proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And he says to the Jewish leaders, if you reject this, be, just let it be known today that this salvation is going to the Gentiles and they will listen. Because God promised that he would. In Isaiah 49, he says, is it too small of a thing that I would bring back the 12 tribes of Israel? But no, I will make you a light to all the nations of the earth. Fulfilling his promise to Abraham that in Abraham, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. The Holy Spirit's determination to make the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I want you to know that is our only hope, Christians. What are you determined to do? We, the church, have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it means that the Holy Spirit is determined to accomplish what it began even here at the end of Acts. There's a church planning network that exists today called Acts 29. And you go, that's a weird name. There are only 28 chapters of Acts in my Bible. Exactly. Acts 29. The next chapter, the ongoing chapter, the continuation of the mission. And understand that it's the mission. It's not a mission. It's the mission. Every other mission is subsumed underneath it. Raising godly children, subsumed underneath it. 
honoring God with heart, soul, mind, and strength underneath it. That all these things play to this end that we would know the unity of Christ and us with Christ so that the world would believe that God sent Jesus. That the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is Pentecost. This is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is able to say the same power that's at work that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. The Holy Spirit power. And here's why we need it. Because of the rampant and persistent and systematic injustice and oppression that exists worldwide, including in our country, of which our country is convulsing this week and this month and today. One of my former ministers is a guy named Scotty Smith, and you can go online and get his prayers. And he wrote a prayer on Friday, and this is three lines of the first paragraph. Lord Jesus, the murder of George Floyd this week breaks our heart. It fuels our disgust, and it intensifies our longings for your return. On this Pentecost weekend, Set a fresh fire in our hearts for loving mercy and doing justice and walking humbly with you into the systemic evil of racism and tribalism. Listen, there are some who wishes the church would emphasize less the necessity of Jesus for salvation from sin and judgment, and death, and would emphasize more social justice. But if that's where you stand, you don't understand the root of injustice and oppression. Because Paul explains from Isaiah 6 that the root of injustice and oppression is the morphing and the twisting of the human heart as it worships anything other than God. And Christianity proclaims the hope that in Christ, the glory of the Lord is made known in its totality and that seeing it and hearing it and perceiving it and turning back to the Lord is the only way for us as human beings to be healed from the injustice and the oppression that plagues us. It starts with worship and worshiping the triune God as he reveals himself. One of my friends wrote a song for Pentecost over 50 years ago. I had it as the end of my sermon and this morning though I haven't spoken to this friend in almost a decade, he wrote me and he just gave me the lyrics of the song that his grandfather wrote or his father wrote. And it's this, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me, break me, melt me, 
Mold me. Fill me. Spirit of the living God. Fall fresh on me. Church. Any road to change in your heart goes directly through the recognition that Jesus Christ is the glory of the Lord made known. And the determination of the Holy Spirit for that glory to be made known is only compared to how the waters covered the sea. This is the ending of Acts, but it's just the beginning of the work. As Jesus says, you will bear my witness from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Please pray with me.